The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, a question. Gakoop or non-Gakoop? It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 101 with guest Mark Miller, recorded live Friday, February 18th, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on VBNet, ASP.NET, and C-Sharp classes online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man whose mother told him to never trust a Delphi zealot, Carl Franklin. Internet games, digital blood. Oh yeah. How you guys doing? Uh, this is Carl Franklin, host of .NET Rocks, the Internet Audio Talk Show for .NET developers, podcasting live, almost live, from New London, Connecticut, in on the east coast of the United States of America. It's a beautiful Friday night here in Connecticut. Uh, began to snow a little bit earlier, but uh, who cares about that? I want to introduce, for the first time, his first public appearance as co-host of .NET Rocks, Mark Miller. Van- thank you, everybody. Vancouver, British Columbia. What? <laughs> Richard Campbell. <laughs> Thanks very much, Carl, and thank you, Mark, for stepping on my introduction. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I thought that I... clear, sunny, cold day out in Vancouver. You clearly today. don't understand the protocol of .NET Rocks, Mark. Now you're supposed to shut up until I introduce you, man. Yeah, the guest is under control in this show. Just for maybe you can edit that out. I really apologize. <laughs> I, I was thinking something else. I guess I was thinking something, and that wasn't reality. Something. You're the Jim Carrey of the podcasting world. You're the Robin aren't you? Williams. He's got to like stand on you know the seats and run down the aisle and okay, I'm gonna, throw roses and stuff. I'm gonna be quiet. Yeah. All right. Well, Excuse anyway, me. the Rip Taylor. Maybe that's more appropriate. There you go. Well, anyway, Richard, I want to talk to you because you know this is your first uh, first night in the chair, and you know what's it like? How you feel? Hey, I'm a little, I've got a little, I got a few butterflies. What can I tell you? I've been sitting in front of this mic fairly often for the past few weeks, but. Uh, you know, it's a different seat, isn't it? Yes, it is. I guess so, the real difference is I didn't. I don't have to sit down with a bunch of prep material as much. You know, now I'm mostly supposed to be listening and reacting rather than having my own little shtick. Yeah, yeah. And I want to say um, the reaction to uh, you know the announcement that we made last week has been definitely bipolar. You know, if I could use that word in that way, which is to say that you know people are really sad to see Rory go. 
but at the same time, everybody's saying that you're you're going to make a terrific uh, host. And I've I gotten some really nice uh, congratulatory emails, and I, I really appreciate it. It's a, it's an exciting thing for me. I I didn't think I'd end up here, to be perfectly honest. I was just having a good time uh, hanging with the show. This is a bit of, as much of a surprise for me as anybody else. Richard, that's a lie, man. You, this has been your plan all along, hasn't it? Well, that's what Rory says. He knew. <laughs> he knew the moment he met me. He says, that's the guy. <laughs> and not all the reaction has been positive. I mean, you've got my flaming bag of poo I sent to your door, right? <laughs> oh, uh, I, that was, which one was yours? <laughs> the, one that, the one that had a nasty message on it in case you were you know, thinking it might have been a good thing I said. You know, most of the ones that have nasty messages are thrown through my windows. Uh, well, anyway, I, I did get some mail. Um, this was from Felbrig Harriet, who says, uh, subject is, what has .NET Rocks done for me? And I usually, you know, I, I don't know. I don't like to gloat on the self-congratulatory emails, but this happened to be the only email we got this week, and it's pretty good. So he says, hi, guys. When I heard the question, what has .NET Rocks done for you? On the 100th show, it made me pose myself the same question. It's been dramatic. Prior to finding .NET Rocks, I was burned out code-wise. I was going into work and tapping away at the keyboard without enthusiasm. All of the excitement and drive for coding I had a few years ago had been wrung out of my soul. .NET Rocks literally changed that attitude. I started listening, and I was hearing people enthused about code. I hadn't heard that for years. I was suddenly part of a community. Every show has given me some new technology to investigate. I'm enjoying coding again. Wow. Thanks for your show. Keep up the good work. Felbrig Napoleon Harriet. Wow. How, how do you follow that, man? That's great. Thanks, man. Yeah, what more can you say? I think the guy deserves a hoodie. Absolutely. So, uh, Felbrig, uh, we're going to ask you for your mailing address, and you can, uh, and we'll send you a .NET Rocks hoodie. And if you're interested in picking up some free swag from our show, you know, we have lots of useless crap to give away. Uh, send an email with your favorite comments or suggestions to uh, .NET Rocks, D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S, at Franklin's Net. And uh, we can't guarantee we'll read it, but, you know, if it's at least mildly amusing, we'll, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> so uh, here we go. Let's, uh, let's talk to Mark. Mark Miller, who's, you know, been on the show before, and uh, he swears he's got – more things to share, although I'm a little concerned because his mind went blank about 10 minutes ago. He said, uh, Carl, I've got – what the hell are we talking about? I've got nothing. Nothing there. I've got nothing, Carl. Yeah. Nothing at all. I just have like three personalities. You know, Normally I have seven, but three have shown up. The other are all hiding and the three are staring and looking at each other like, huh? I thought you were supposed <laughs> to have something prepared. And you got this weird thing going on with like Mondays, like you don't want people to know like you do Mondays because it's like all this sort of, you know, uh, mildly adult humor. Right. So and, we'll just cut out what you just said right there. And then, <laughs> and then you, but you want, but you want to be known in the .NET community. So you want to do .NET Rocks and you want everybody to know like what a really uh, Im impressive uh, developer you That's are. That's the only reason I'm here. Yeah. Because I just all wanna, that other stuff. We, yeah. <laughs> I just want to let people know how how effing impressive I am. Right. So when you're talking to your boss, don't say Mark Miller, the guy who does Mondays, and give him the URL. Say Mark Miller, the guy who wrote Code Rush. Right. Because there uh, there are more than one, and it's conceivable that the other guy could be another guy and not me. <laughs> you know, it could be. Yeah, if you go searching online for Mark Miller, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. So apparently, one of them's a member of Congress. Really? Yeah. Yeah, wow. that one that one actually is me. <laughs> I'm I'm doing that just cuz I like passing laws. 
You know. There you go. So what should we say about you and your bio? I mean, you got Richard know Richard knows you from way back when when you used to be a, yeah. You no, know, I'll, well, I'll tell you the, 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 the essence of it. I used to. Well, I I programmed in Object Pascal or Delphi for about you know eighteen years, long, long time. That's the only language I was in. I have you know dipped around in other languages as well. Um, assembly language. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, I took a course at a local community college where I was programming by punching in yeah. buttons on a hex pad, uh, and uh, um, and so. Uh, sorry, I'm just totally distracted by Carl's little yeah he just threw out there in the middle because yeah. he wasn't really serious. It wasn't sincere at all. With no, that, no, yeah. it's, that's called banter to keep the listeners awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I was like, you're not listening to me. That's insincere, man. I wasn't because somebody just IM'd me and told me my, the .NET Rocks website is broken, Uh-oh. But, and I had to check it, and it's not, right. so he's smoking crack. So all I right. apologize. Okay, no problem. No, I'm back. I'm, I'm feeling comfortable again because okay, cool. I, w- I would be doing the same thing if somebody told me that. So, well, the essence is I program in, in, in Object Pascal slash Delphi for uh, a long, long time. Uh, transitioned over into C Sharp, and I've been in C Sharp for about almost two years now, I think. Um, uh, and that's that's essentially it. I, I, I speak around different parts of the world. I used to do a lot of conferences in the Delphi world, and I'm uh, trying to uh, not offend as many people in the Microsoft world, so I can. And get... let's let's face it. I mean, Richard, he he was a he was a superstar in the Delphi world. He was world. one of the rock stars of the Delphi world. Right. I mean, as as big as you could get. And that's where I met him was at a conference, and he was he was monstrous. He's also trying to convert me. He goes, you know, Campbell, you're kind of cool. Why are you programming that crappy language? Come over, come over to the to the, to the white side, the you light know? side, yeah. Leave the dark side. Yeah, I said that. You I did. did, and then and then you you pointed out the other day that uh, Mark, you're over here in the dark side, aren't you? Yeah. And I'm like, welcome to the dark side, yeah, baby. Yeah. In fact, I gotta I gotta show you this link. Okay. So just a little diversion here. If you wanna you wanna meet Mark Miller at his at his prime. Let me give you a little shrinkster link for this. This is uh, uh, a shot. Actually, they mentioned this on the uh, the chat channel. Shrinkster.com 3WX. It's uh, it's a diary page. Okay. From uh, from a Borland conference, 1998. Huh. In Toronto. And if you scroll down, there's a photo of a very young Mark Miller. He's got hair, man. He's got hair. <laughs> Holy crap, look at him. Good looking too, man. Yeah, and you know, that was high-speed film because you almost look like you're holding still there. <laughs> and you know what's weird is the the president there, Jerome, he's looking at you in a kind of a very creepy way. I don't know. That's a kind of a creepy look, don't you think? Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. This is His name's actually pronounced Yurun. Oh, Yurun. Yurun Plimers. You're right. And, and, uh, uh, but, uh, and he's actually a very cool guy, man. And then, yeah, no offense, Yeroon. I didn't mean to offend you, but uh, that's a kind of a creepy photo. In the shot above is uh, my arch nemesis Ray Kanapka on the left, and uh, right. and uh, I, 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 we used to have this ongoing kind of uh, battle. He was also a speaker, and and I publicly hated him because uh, I, publicly I say this because you know I, I mean, uh, you know. Uh, Privately, he was a great guy. We're good friends. But publicly, I told everybody that I hated him because he was, you know, more professional than me. He got better speaker scores than I did. Everybody uh. liked him, you know, more than me. <laughs> and he was like the perfect older brother, except for he was younger. And then it made me hate him even more, you know. So. You, you did. You showed me uh, when you were here the very first time I met you. You were doing some code rush training with me. 
that uh, you showed me a video that you'd made, which was sort of like the oh, Simpsons right. with voiceovers. Right. And they showed it at, you know, it had like the the president of Borland, all like all these characters in it. It was all animated. Yeah, it was all animated. And it was, you know, it was the kind of stuff that we would do here at .NET Rocks in the .NET community. But this was like shown at the equivalent of the PDC in the Borland world or TechEd or something, right? right? right this was right. shown at like... It was a Borland. It was, it was, a, it was a, I used to do a session in there called the, the Dark Side of Delphi. And <laughs> I would... I would go for, you know, about I would try to go for about an hour of just funny stuff. Yeah. And but all geared around developers. Right. So I would one of the things I had was a version control check in, check out system where yeah. I, I merged uh, you know, video game technology with with version control. <laughs> and so the idea is after you're done working, you want to check something in, you go into first person shooter mode. <laughs> And and there's real jeopardy here, right? Because the real problem with games is, you know, you get hit, you just go to your save point and you start up again. Right. There's real jeopardy here. If you get hit, we start blasting holes in the code. And so, like, <laughs> I switch over to the editor and show a hole right through the editor, you know. And so there'd be technology, right? Because we do custom region, but we'd blast it right through the IDE. And uh, and and then I jump back in again. And so I do those kinds of things. That's cool. Yeah. You know? The best session I ever saw you do, and I don't think it was actually a session. It was a, something at a uh, at a booth or something. You you would have a competition with some hotshot Delphi programmer, but you'd be using Code Rush in Delphi, and you'd you'd both try and write the code at this uh, the, the same code and, and see who could finish first. But you'd do it with chopsticks, right? You'd be holding <laughs> chopsticks and typing on the keyboard with the chopsticks. Yeah, there was um, that actually was not in Delphi. That was at uh, PDC. We did this the I think the last PDC where they had the Los Angeles fires, right? And uh, we had a it was a great competition we had where uh, uh, if anybody could beat me and I was you know restricted and handicapped in some way, uh, they would get you know time in the money booth. <laughs> and we had this money booth with real cash. Well, actually, it wasn't. It was um, not real cash in the booth. We'd write a check, but basically, it was <laughs> sure. you no know, monopoly cash. Kind it's kind of like Price is Right, right? They give you a check at the yeah. end, and how you're not going to cash it and three so, feet long. So the guy would go in, and what we ended up doing is we ended up, um, uh, you know, we ended up just as being good sports. We gave everybody time in it. And and uh, it was kind of cool, except for you know all those th- that class action lawsuit from all the paper cuts that people got. That they, they <laughs> all s- right, so I want to know how you came over to the .NET side. I mean, you were it, was, it had to do with Code Rush, right? Because Code Rush right. was a Delphi well, product first. We actually talked about this a little bit the last time, so right. I don't want to get into a lot, lot uh, into a, a huge amount of de- detail here. But but the essence of it was is that I was um, I'd been kind of looking at, at, in this direction for a while. Yeah. I saw my 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 market was uh, peering to dwindle. And I was certainly getting that feedback from other third-party developers. And so I said, you know, I mean, there were all these signs. And so I said, you know what, I'm definitely going to go in this direction. And, uh, and, and the experience was actually a great one because I, I I really liked the, um, um, the extensibility of the Visual Studio IDE. Yeah. And, uh, and, and also from a, um, uh, just from a design standpoint, I really enjoyed that as well. So that was, that was the start of that. And that was about two years ago. Well, you came to the Connecticut.net user group uh, a few weeks ago when you were up here, and you did a session on um, uh, just sort of general OOP stuff and GDI, and and um, it was just like you know Mark unplugged basically is what it was. You just went off in a in several directions, and you talked about some things that really rang true that I think would be very important for our, our listeners to hear. You have like this set of rules for uh, object oriented programming. Uh, and and it actually ruffled a few feathers in the in the uh, the talk because you know some people were like you know well isn't that going to be a maintenance nightmare blah 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 bringing out I don't know if you remember what oh, I was yeah, one of talking the- about one of the things that uh, you suggested was um, 
putting every class in its own, giving every class its own file. Yeah. That wasn't, I think, the problem the one one guy had. I'm trying to remember what he had. He he, he had a problem on, no, that on distribution. That. No, it was distribution. It was it was distribution. We'll, oh, we'll talk about of assemblies. Yeah, assemblies, that's yeah. That was his problem. But, yeah. But yeah, the, well, let's just cover the first sure. thing you talked sure. about because, yeah, I – um, putting uh, a class in, in one class per file is 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 great if you're working on a team in yeah. a team. Because then you don't have to go through all the files and find where the classes. Right, are. Right, exactly. If you want to find if you want to find a particular class, you know its class name. You immediately know its file name. You know what file it's in. And this is a. Let me say one other thing. This is a scalable. Uh, discipline. Yeah. In other words, once you do this, if you double or triple the size of your team, it still works just as well. And there's you don't have to change the way you don't have to work any harder to make it to make. But you're basing that on the thought that that the developers are only going to work on anybody's going to only work on a given class one at a time. No two people work on the same class because it's and and so they're separate files. They're not going to collide with each other. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're suggesting like you know taking advantage of partial classes. Is that what you're talking about? I mean, well, I'm just I mean, saying you know supporting your point that. Uh, that we, it's scalable because you you tend to only work oh, in one I class. Oh, I see. At well, a time. you know, I was thinking more along the lines. It's scalable from the standpoint of you you still get the benefit of this discipline without any additional work, regardless of how many people you add yeah, to the team. Yeah. That's kind of what I meant by that. Um, it's it, it, I, for a second, I was wondering if you were asking me about you know does this now limit the situation where I've got uh, you know I have two people that want to work on the same class at the same time. Yeah. That's a rare rare situation, I think. Uh, and if that situation comes up, the, my recommendation is. You really need two classes there. You've got two situations where you have two classes. Well, the thing that I thought about was, was something you may not even even have considered, but as a as a VB developer, right, a VB six developer, a VB four, five, and six gave us classes, but we we were limited to only putting one class in one file. Mm-hmm. Like the file and the class were intimately linked, and the name of the the class class file was the name of the class, right. And uh, in VBNet, we felt liberated because we could actually put more than one class in one file. And it just goes to show you that, you know, you may, the best practice doesn't necessarily mean taking advantage of a new feature. Yeah. Just because there's a new feature doesn't mean that that's you should well, use it. Well, that's – you know, that this this happens again and again in history with technology. As a new feature comes out, like remember in Windows 3.1 when they had font technology, yeah, right? Right, right? Everybody's like, let me get – you know, let me sell you a billion fonts right. and you can use them in your letters. And so people were like throwing all these fonts around. Right. And even developers were using them in applications or creating apps that had crazy fonts all over the place. Yeah. And – and and that's what happens when new technology comes out. I mean, I, quite frankly, I'm scared to death when the 3D stuff and, you know, all the other, you know, animati- animation stuff comes out in, right. in Avalon. I'm just like, you know, because I just know people are going <laughs> to abuse the heck out of it for right. a couple of years before everybody starts getting some sense. You know, the, the equivalent I would think of is when, when Microsoft first jumped on the Internet bandwagon, all that generation zero Internet technology was appallingly bad. Yeah. We, and it, was, it took a long time to sort of sort through and figure out what was decent software, what was not decent software. And, and even Microsoft themselves, you get that impression that sometimes they just throw stuff on the wall, see if it sticks, and lots right. of technology just evaporated. And the stuff that stuck got new versions and, and improved. Yeah. And then there's the stuff that they use themselves and they feel so proud of and they go out and tell everybody about it. And everybody's like, oh, well, we're not supposed to use that now. Like the GAC, right? The, right. the Global Assembly Cache. You know, people are are telling me, you know, so we've got this website, you know, that uses these uh, business objects and we're putting them in the GAC and we're having a hard time trying to update the website. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, why are you putting them in there? It's like, well, so then they're shared. Well, what are you trying to do? Save disk space? You know? (laughs) 
Yeah, but you know the the problem is that Microsoft builds development tools, and they think that way rather than thinking about building business applications. Right, right. So it's a good rule. But there was another thing that you mentioned in your list of, I don't know. You probably don't have a list, you know, formal list on paper, but you have it in your head. But another one was uh, prefixing the names of the class files and the names of assemblies. Like you have a prefixing uh, Oh, system. yeah. Well, th- we were talking – one of the th- things – the context of that suggestion was under uh, – w- was first uh, under the general architecture suggestion I had yeah. that plug-in architectures are good. Yes. Uh, and, and, uh, and that was the essence of it. So basically what I said is, look, if you've got an application and you have parts of your application that, are, that you want to be, be ultra-flexible – you know, over time, you want to be, you know you're going to be changing these again and again. Yeah. Or alternatively, you've got a section of your application that you want swappable. You want to swap out a different kind of provider for that dynamically, either right. while it's running or you know a decision made on install or something like that. Yeah. The, these kinds of solutions are solved by plugin by plugin architectures. Once you have a plugin architecture, the next thing you can implement is something called load on demand. And load on demand will is 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 something that you that you go out and explicitly say, I'm going to load this particular assembly because I know I'm going to need it soon. Yeah. Right now, .NET architecture will give you kind of a, a generic. Load on demand built in. Yeah. The first time you reference a class right. for the first time, it's going to load that assembly it's in. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you kind of get that already with .NET, which is kind of nice. But the problem is, is that can't preload it. Well, no, well, no, no, no. The problem is, is that sometimes you want to, uh, I guess, do the equivalent of of uh, working with the class, but not, but controlling when the the thing. Well, actually, this is that's a kind of a bad example. I can say. I want to say the equivalent of this, but it's really rough. But it's 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 analogous to to working with the class before you actually load the assembly. In other words, you want to call some static methods on yeah. it, and and so right. the way you would do that in a plugin system is you would decouple the parts you want to work with from the parts that implement the body of the work. Yeah. And the per- parts that implement the body of the work, those would be the things that you would explicitly load when you knew you were about to need them. Yeah. And as part of that, as part of that load procedure, what it would that 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 plugin would do is it would go register its implementers. Yeah. It would say, "Hey, here I am. I'm ready to go." And so now you call those impl- those methods, and you know, in this in this in this low level uh, kind of core assembly, and it's going to say, "Hey, it's been registered. I know. I'm going to go call it and call the methods." And that gives you this load on de- this great load on demand that the, the built-in .NET architecture cannot give right. you okay. all by itself. Very cool. So once you have load on demand, okay, you can now what you you gain benefits of fast startup time. Okay, yeah. because because now instead of loading everything on startup, you load very quickly, like right. like Visual Studio. Right. If you look at Visual Studio, how it loads up, loads up very very fast. Yeah. Um. They Visual Studio's load on demand architecture though is not as great as it could be though. If you're a plugin developer for Visual Studio, an add-in developer, I mean for Visual Studio, mm-hmm. you know this because you've no doubt written an add-in command, and then changed the name of it, and then tried running again, and it doesn't know about the new name. And the distinction between the way Visual Studio does it and the way I recommend that people do this is what you need to do is you need to check the date. You're obviously going to be profiling this to sense demand, right? You're yeah. profiling your, your – when I say profiling, I mean you're, you're taking kind of a, a – Yeah, you're monitoring. A, getting a silhouette of, the, right. of, 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 of what the needs are inside mm-hmm. of that thing you're going to load later. And you do that the first time you load it. But you also store the date, time, file stamp. And so the next time you go in and you, you compare these two and if the date hasn't changed, you know you don't need to profile it again. And so you just say, we'll save it till demand – occurs. And uh, Visual Studio doesn't do that. So if I rebuild and, you know, indicating some change, it doesn't go say, oh, hey, he's got more commands. He's got whatever. So, so the first time it's loaded, it's, it's, it t- takes a shortcut. Now, this shortcut is good for everybody except for add-in developers. 
mm. you know, or anybody who's going to install an update to an add-in, I guess, mm-hmm. as well. I guess mm-hmm. it would affect them there. So, so yeah. we've got load on demand. Okay. Now, to really get the benefits of load on demand, the thing that I was arguing, that I was suggesting that, that got, you know, st- stirred up some controversy yeah. is you need to do the opposite of what actually some Microsoft guys have been saying. And that is instead of putting everything, you know, what they'll do is they'll say, hey, for performance, we recommend putting everything in one assembly. Yeah. Because then you're not loading all these assemblies. The reason they say that is because the time to find the assembly is a little longer than yeah, ideally okay, you'd okay. like it to be. Now, because the, you know it's got to check for cultural issues, it could be in the GAC. It could be there's a lot of places that have to be checked. Yeah. Um, and so they say don't do a lot of pl- don't do a lot of small stuff. But, and actually, but, we should just say that things loading from the GAC are actually pretty fast. But that's. Um, okay, that's fine. I mean, yeah. I don't. We, we I didn't mean to suggest that they were is, slow. Half of our stuff is in the. But but the, but, but the thing is, is you have to look. And I right. think the first place. Well, I, I forget the order, but I, I think I the, believe the GAC is first. If it's not first, it's second. The yeah. first is like local directory. I think, but Actually, you can also specify GAC is before local directory. Oh, it is okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. All right. So yeah, we have some of our stuff in the GAC, and some of our stuff is not in the GAC. But to get the true fastest performance, once you have a great load on demand architecture in place, you want smaller packages, not bigger ones. Yeah. It's the opposite of what they're saying. And the guy, one of the guys that was real upset about this was, well, I'm installing, are you, you know, my, my customers are going to go nuts. They're going to go in the directory right, and they're going to see a hundred assemblies, a hundred assemblies. How do you deal with that? Yeah. And he was looking for an answer that said, oh, you put them all in one with this magic tool. And the answer is they don't look there. That's not where they yeah, look. What are look- your customers doing looking at your assembly? Right. Well, that was, that was the first answer. And the other thing I said is, look, you know, to, initially this is going to put a higher burden on your guy who's doing the installs. Right? Because he's got instead of one EXE, he's got like maybe 20 to deal with, right? So he's got to, you know, change his script a little bit. But that's not a big burden. Once you have this, you actually have this wonderful flexibility where if you want to take out a feature, you just don't distribute that DLL, that assembly. And you just take it out. In other words, we can control features, what features are going to be in the product in the install script, not by by you going back to developers and saying, hey, recompile. Rather than making, recompiling and making different versions. Yes. Exactly. As long as you build the code to say, hey, I wasn't able to start that on demand. I guess that feature doesn't exist here. Move on. Exactly. You can also release updates and upgrades much, much easier, right? Yeah, say, only ship what changed. And 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 get features enhanced or tech support problems much faster. Somebody says, hey, I really wish your product did this. And you realize, hey, I got a pretty good plugin architecture. I could create that in like a couple hours. And you do it and you sit, submit it, stick it out on the news group. And it improves the goodwill between customers and you. Which is a good thing, mm. and so it 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 takes away a lot of the burden, a lot of the hassles, and uh, and and the other part of my answer, which you alluded to at the very beginning of this whole thing, was prefixes. Right. What one of the things we do is we have a naming convention for our assemblies, where we give them a prefix that allows the developer who's looking at it to know, okay, I see immediately what this what category of features this belongs to. Right. So okay, well, uh, that's that was way more than I asked for, but awesome. It, it That's also, a fairly typical Mark Miller answer, Yeah, exactly. Actually. I love hanging out with this guy. But anyway, the, one of the reasons that I asked about that was because you've obviously read the .NET design guide, uh, you know, where they have, uh, you know, how, how code should look, how things should look. They have I've a, seen some of that. Yeah, right. some of the, so the style the, formatting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that they suggest is uh, uh, Hungarian notation out. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so you have uh, prefixes for your files, but yet, what do your variables look like? 
Um, the only prefix we have currently is we have local variables start with an L yeah. and field variables start with an underscore. Yeah. And that's essentially our, 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 our field variables are, are camel case and so are – So you have lots of long variable names? Um, not necessarily long, Typically. but definitely we don't use short ones. We, we, in other words, we use descriptive. Yeah. We try to, what we try to do is get short descriptive names. And does the name usually include what class it is? Or not sometimes. What are you talking about? Uh, the 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 field name? You mean no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no the field variable won't have any reference to the class because really? it's just a private. You, I mean, our field variables. I don't mean a field variable. I mean like a local variable. Like if you're going to actually put create one on the stack in a method or something. Yeah, like that. it's it's just going to be it's just going to be like you know l username. Like if it's a so graphics it's lower, object, would lower, it have any allusion graphics. to the facts? It would that say is, well, it would say like l graphics. Okay, but wait, if you had three of them. Oh well, say, then 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 I would distinguish them by meaning, by what their like what their purpose was. L graphics memory, uh, yeah. L graphics. Well, this screen, is whatever. Th- this is a bad example, but a good example would be brushes, right? Because yeah, right, you often have multiple brushes those, or right. pens. So I'll have called one L background brush, L yeah. foreground brush, okay. or L text brush, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So basically, the 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 key is readability. Right. That's what you I that, totally agree, man. That, that's the key. You want it so that you can read this easily, so anybody else on the team can read this easily, so that if you posted this out somewhere else, you're not going to be embarrassed by it. That's the essence of what you want. The only you know, the only exception I'll do to the long variable names is like with the I iterator. Yeah. Or yeah. I might do a J I iterator. Use I all the time. But yeah. but every once in a while though, if there's a uh, if I may if I have a method with maybe more than one iterator in it, mm-hmm. I will and and it makes sense. I will change one of these iterators to a well-meaning name, like yeah. index yep. or, um, or, right. or 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 something else, to to because it makes sense. Yeah, but I, I don't do that all the time. But I I I will do it every once in a while. That's that's almost verbatim what I do. Exactly, because you don't want to get. Then we I, have J, no show. K. If you agree with me on every point, we have no show, Carl. Okay, <laughs> or, you know you never see I J K L in my, you know yeah. in nested now, for loops. Now I will tell you an embarrassing but funny story if <laughs> okay. you want to hear it. Sure. The the um for the longest time in Pascal, I used J as my default iterator. Yeah, and the reason I did was because of some early code I wrote long long time ago. Where I was using uh, global variable i as my iterator variable in all my methods. And I realized – well, you know, I didn't realize that was a problem until I saw that it was a problem. And then it was a bad problem Big to fix. Problem. Big yeah. problem to fix, right? And I was it was horrible. So this is totally embarrassing. You know, this is like totally embarrassing story. We won't have to cut this out of the show. Um, <laughs> so no way, man. Oh yeah, we will. No way. So so uh, so anyway, when I realized that, my way out for any new iterators in there was to go to the next letter of the alphabet, which was J. And so <laughs> for years after that, I used J as my default iterator variable. So that was you know you know I I, I wasn't always a an, an impressive guy. I used to suck at quite frankly, you know. <laughs> well, we have a question for the uh, suck master here in right. the, from the chat room uh, regarding sealed and not inheritable. Since a majority of classes you write will never be extended, uh, do you think it would be a good idea to have VSNet default to sealed not inheritable for class definitions? No. Would you consider sealing your cl- you sealing your classes to be an oop best practice? No. If you're if you're not sure that you'll ever extend the class. No, I never would. I'm actually a big inheritance guy. I, I know that every once in a while you get these these guys that are like, um, you know, inheritance sucks, and let me tell you why. And they run through the problems, and 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 there, I, I guess I would agree with the problems if it's improperly implemented. Inheritance has problems if it's improperly implemented. Yeah. But if given thought. 
and and care in design inheritance absolutely rocks and uh and uh and 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 personally I hate it. I will tell you that I have run up against uh, at least two cases in the .net architecture. One I can't remember, but the other one I definitely remember where I wanted to descend and it was sealed. And I was like, "You Right. Bastards, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, I, and this is the thing: is sealing it does nothing for you except screw you up later. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not sure if there's any performance. Do you know if there's any performance issue with that or something? I, I get the I, sense that there's. I don't. I don't think so. I, I was thinking something with static methods or something. I think I may have heard something off the side. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know. But the 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 it, the the reason I think that they have that is for security reasons, right? In other words, yeah. it, it, or at least that's my assumption. I, my assumption is you seal a class for security reasons because you don't want somebody to create a descendant on the fly and and spoof their way into your app, right? Right, right. A, yeah, so true yeah. base classes that are used broadly are the sort of things you may want to seal just so that people don't mess with them. Right. Well, not base class. You said base classes, but you mean yeah, you, but you mean you descendants. Know. Yeah, that yeah. yeah. So I, I, I don't I, – I just am, am – I'm still a big inheritance guy. Yeah. I, I still think, you know, oop design and, and is, is great. And you're like ne- – you're, you're not into interfaces that much, are you? I'm, a little bit. No, I mean, well, it's, it's – You told me once they, that you're they, not a big interface guy. That's – well, at one point in my life, I was not. At one okay. point, I was do- – I mean, one point I was doing a session. This was a Delphi session, and and this guy I was on design patterns, and this guy is saying, "Well, you know, why don't you use inher- why don't you use uh, um, not inheritance? Why, why don't you use interfaces for the factories?" And I'm like, "Huh?" And he's like, "Use interfaces for the factories." I go, "Like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about for the creation mechanism?" And he's like, "Yeah," and I'm like. <laughs> No, <laughs> you know, and, and and he's going, but why, you know? And I'm like, and finally, and, and I'm like, because the interfaces suck. <laughs> so, so that was my and part brilliant of, argument. But part of the reason I said that is because every single training session I'd ever seen on yeah. interfaces had a had a contrived example Stupid. that was better solved with inheritance. Yeah, and it wasn't until I providers plugins that's where interfaces really shine. Well, and another one is the observer design pattern. Yeah, observers. Think about observer sure. for a second, right? You've got a subject and you've got observers. What happens when you want to introduce this architecture into an existing hierarchy like the .NET framework, Windows Forms, right? So let's say you want to have your form be able to be participant as an observer Mm -hmm. on another form that might be the subject, right? right? This is a great example where interfaces can solve the problem and inheritance cannot. And and, and there are a lot of cases where both can solve the problem. And it's really a matter when I'm, you know, coming up to it, you know, now it's like a 50-50 split. Mm -hmm. When, When we've got a situation where we need the solution, the solution is decoupling, right? That's yep. what the solution is. You don't We're, care I, what the class is. You just need the, the elements. Or the, at least, the, yeah, we've got some problem. The problem is we have tight coupling somewhere and we need to loosen it up. Yep. And and half the time I'll say, well, let's stick an interface and half the time I'll do inheritance. And the only, and now I tend to go – I go with interfaces if I know for sure there's no way we're going to want to do any kind of you know default implementation in the Ancestor class. Yeah. And if there is a need for default implementation, I'll go with inheritance instead because that's the slight edge it has over interfaces um, is that you can provide default implementations and make the methods virtual. Descendants can override just the ones they choose. Yeah. And this is also really useful if you're going to have uh, uh, novice programmers you know, working on this extensibility aspect of it. They're, mm. I mean, they're going to be working on the uh, – if they're going to be w- e- using this stuff, right? If you, right. If, you have, if you have developers are your customers yeah. and you want to w- cut down on tech support, mm-hmm. I give you 
I give you a two, you know, if I give you an interface, you have to implement every single method in it. And if right. you don't, I get a tech support call. Right. If I give you an ancestor class right. that has default implementations, yes. in those default implementations, I can put a message that says, you know, hey, Carl, yeah. you know, I really, you forgot to override this you method. You forgot to override me. You know, and Debug when you override, sort. don't call the inherited. <laughs> right. You know, something along those lines. And right. I can tell you how to fix the problem you have. Or I That's can give true. you a compiler warning, things like that. So inheritance tends to edge out if it's going to be consumed by somebody other than a team member, other yeah, than right, an expert. Right. And, and uh, uh, so I that, see, that's my I criteria. See, I see interfaces definitely in the, in the provider and in the plugin and the observer that you said. But uh, you know, that's where you have to have a separation between the interface and the implementation. You know, the, I, I agree, man. Uh, every example I ever saw in any training class was always, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, they give you an example where it looks like they're trying to do inheritance, but you have to write the code. Yeah, you know, but it's an interface. It's like, hey, it, you have to write the code. Well, yeah, that's the, the whole point. The, the other problem with interfaces is when they first came out, they were either too granular or too fat. Yeah, they either required way too much of you. Like the, the you know, I'm not an expert on this, but I think the file shell was an example of this. You had loads. If you wanted to put like a right click menu item on the the Windows uh, Explorer. On a file, you had to overload. You had to you not overload. You had to implement like three or four crazy methods that had nothing to do with showing your menu item and what you wanted to do, right. because the interface was too big. And 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 so this you, interfaces. When I was seeing all these examples, I was just seeing interfaces as introducing burden. And 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 the bottom line, in my opinion, is is that is that it, it's. It's easy to set up a system with inter interfaces that suck, and it's easy to set up a system with inheritance that sucks. And and you really need to apply good thought and good design to both. It, when it comes to, to inheritance, your good design, your your thought is going to be applied towards which methods are virtual. You know, are they public or protected? That sort of thing. You yeah. know, how can we override these? What, are, what kind of default behaviors am I going to do? And if yeah. your, your design, if your thought is applied towards interfaces, it's how do I get the granularity right? And you really need to think about it because – and I'll tell you, the best way for us is is we create – instead of creating interfaces up front, we kind of use an XP approach where we create them essentially as needed. So yeah. we'll already have – we know what the methods are, the minimum methods are already, and that gives us – defines our granularity. So we don't have these granularity problems when we bring them in. Hmm. You know, a lot of what you're talking about here, Mark, has to do with more of the maintainability of code. And there's been a discussion going on in the – uh, chat room during the, the sort of live part of the show talking about, you know, actually going sealed, not inheritable gives you performance advantages. There's an article here from Ted Patterson about that. And, and so he brought up the fact that, you know, using the interface approach gives you a little bit better performance. But at the same time, we're thinking, you know, performance isn't the key issue here. It's keeping the code alive and easier to take care of and extend. Yeah. Writing in assembly language will give you some poor performance benefits, too. I mean, if you want to go <laughs> yeah, in that very direction. Very significant performance See, see here's the other thing, too, is where, you know, you've you got to look at the context of the performance increase and where you're going to get it. If this, If you're getting this performance increase in response to a user click, and you're about to, right. you know, and you're getting it once. Yeah, who cares? And you're about to show a dialogue or something. It's essentially nothing. It's you're not going to make dialogue pop up any faster. Yeah, you're yeah. getting absolutely yeah. nothing. Um, you, you, you know, anybody who tell, talks to me about performance issues, the other one that's crazy, one that I hear every once, or at least personally, I think is crazy, is when they talk about how GDI is, you know, is you know this general conception that GDI plus is slow. You know, some of the things I showed in Carl's group and also in uh, uh, another session that I did on GDI plus is I essentially say, no, it's not slow. Take a look at all of these things that I'm doing here, 
you know, that this code is doing here really fast. And, uh, and uh, you, you know, you're not going to get it much faster at all, I think. And you actually made me feel really smart today, didn't you? Didn't, uh, oh, didn't yeah, you? that's right. Yeah, because we were talking about uh, – we don't need to bring this up, though. Oh, come it, on. Sure, Because <laughs> conversely, while you feel, look smart – I look dumb. Oh no, dude! There's no <laughs> way you can look dumb. You are you are the god of GDI. No, 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 man. man. No, this really clearly pretty much points out a major, <laughs> major gap in my training. No, man. no, 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 no. Come on, man. All right, we'll talk about it, but we have to cut it out from the show. <laughs> all right, yeah, we'll okay. definitely edit it. First all right. of all, I got to say that Mark Mark was looking for a solution for something, and he came up with a solution that's absolutely freaking brilliant. But I said, hey, did you know that there's a, a method call that blah blah blah? And he said, no, there's not. And I said, yeah, there is. And I whipped out some code and showed him. He's like, oh, cool, man. I couldn't – because it wasn't named anything close to what it resembled and it was it was buried in the help. It's, and, well, this is actually going to be useful to users. This is for drawing a rubber band kind right. of you know elastic thing around something. An XOR and, line. Yeah, yeah and, and Carl was saying XOR line. And I'm going, there's – you can't do XOR line in lines in GDI. At least that's what I thought. And, uh, uh, and, and it's – and actually, well, it's not – Okay. It, well, yeah. Technically, it it's may a, not actually be in GDI. It's a reversible line. So you yeah. draw it once it's and in it control, shows up. It's in paint control or control paint? Control paint. Control paint dot draw reversible line. Draw reversible line and, and draw, draw reversible frame. Right. Yeah. And and this will do the, that that kind of rubber banding thing. And the reason I was so adamant about it is because when I was first trying to do this about two years ago, I was uh, searching around and every single site I hit said you can't do it. Yeah. And you got to resor- resort to you know Win32 calls. So and you know what? Though? I was, there was I just was dang impressed when I but saw. But there it was today. nothing special about how I figured that out. I went looking through the help, and I must just have stumbled across something that you didn't. But it help. really, it goes to show you that you don't. It doesn't matter how. It, I mean, this guy Mark, you know, he's like Mister GDI. He wrote Code Rush for crying out loud. That's like playing a video game in Visual Studio, man. With so, chopsticks. With chopsticks, mm-hmm. it's insane. It's graphics everywhere. I mean. You know, you, you you try to do a four next loop, and some helicopter comes off of the right hand screen and dances around your code, and then goes off to the left. Man. We, we like, took the helicopter out, man. It's freaking awesome! People were confused by that. So you know, it doesn't matter how how expert you are. There's going to be stuff that you just can't find just because you didn't go down that path in the help file. So that's why this is actually one of the nice things about working on a team. Yeah, is you can you can plug things by other people and and see if they've 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 encountered it or hit hit something. Yeah, but no, that's that's a the uh, the thing you showed me was great, Carl. I really appreciate uh, that. I re- it's cool. Well, you showed me a million great things too. It's really great. Yeah, we have no show, man. As long as we agree, that's true. Why the heck isn't Rory? Get, off, get out of my show. See, get out right now, Richard. Get- I see what you're doing. Get out, man. Richard, if Roy were here right now, man, he'd be saying, that's bullshit, Mark. That's bullshit. Okay? And we'd have yeah, a show. Total bullshit. You're just making this up. Yeah, exactly. I know you. I know what you're up to. Take your crack smoking crack pipe and get the hell out of my show. All right. There we go. Now we got <laughs> Now we got a show. Now we got a show. I've been waiting for the toilet flush the oh, whole time. The crack pipe. That's all. So... I got nothing. All right. So nothing at all. Here's another question from the chat room from Brian Morehouse. Uh, you mentioned novice programmers. Any other guidelines or rules of thumb for working with them? Um, yeah, well. Nice I, shirt, man. You just took off your coat, and he's got a shirt that says, coding is not a crime. Yeah. That's a great shirt. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, when it, <laughs> I, I'm frequently having the federal marshals, you know, break into my place, and I, I just want to make sure they're clear on the rules, you know. So Wait, man, I gotta I gotta play that link again. I gotta play that thing again, man. What my, the, my message? The, yeah, your message that you the left for the show? for the hundredth show. Ah, uh, so good. Just in case you missed it. Congratulations on your hundredth show, man. Uh, you know, I know I had a great time when I was up there, and I want to say thank you to you because 
um, if you recall, when I was up there, we had a uh, um, we were dealing with my uh, caffeine addiction problem, and uh, I just want to not again. Hey, hey, hey! Just a minute, just a minute. I just want to say thanks, Carl. Hold on, I got to do a couple things here, but I want to say thank you. Um, you know, uh, uh, ever since I switched to crack cocaine, the uh, caffeine addictions are totally gone, and um, I appreciate. Yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. Fucking pigs are back. Hold on, I'm just gonna just a minute, just a minute. All right, Carl, I gotta go. Thanks a lot. That's not good. Bye. That's so good. What are the odds of that happening while I was leaving the message for you? I man? know, really. Yeah. Mm. Strangest thing. Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine, and you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. All right, so back to the question. Novice programmers, you obviously, oh, yeah. sure. you obviously deal with them. Uh, well, now, you, it's, not, it's, not, it's not so much that I, I, I categorize all our customer base as novices, but it's, it's an issue of if your customers – if either you're working – either you're, you've, you've got novice programmers on the team mm-hmm. or your customer base it consists uh, – your, cons- your customers are yeah, your programmers. Your developers, for You example. have the same goals. You want to simplify the extensibility of your product. Right, the same goals for both absolutely. sets. Absolutely. Okay. Now, we, for the guys in house, uh, absolutely, absolutely recommend this and insist on this with you know whoever's objecting in your company. G- pair program. Okay. Mm. Get these guys working with an expert mm. in your company from day one. Okay. Because here's the th- here's the deal. What's the alternative? The alternative is new guy starts up. Right. He, even if he's a good programmer, he's not familiar with your code base. Right. New guy starts up. If, you, if you're really super organized, you slam down a, a document on his desk. He says, this is our code base here. Read it, study it, learn it. Yeah. And in three months, we're going to expect you to be proficient. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so he's on his own trying to figure it out. Now, let's contrast this with, you know, say you're the new guy. You're the new guy in the company, right? You go in and you're sitting down in first day one with a developer who's experienced and you're maintaining something. You're maintaining code right there from day one. Yeah. And you're at the keyboard and he's right next to you. And you're yeah. just immersed. Yeah. 
Okay. Think of it like a study partner in college. That's exactly know? what it is. I, I, I remember I never I, – my grades in high school were always bad until I started studying with a study partner and it made all the difference in the world. It's, it's made a huge difference for us. It absolutely is – even if you take a look at – even if you dismiss every other aspect of XP programming, pair programming is the fastest way to get a new guy up to speed and, and to be not only up to speed but to become a better developer. Yeah. Um, I've heard stories. I was talking to these guys who were doing uh, XP programming um, uh, remotely uh, from a place in California to I think a place in Arizona. And uh, and and they pair program – everybody on there, they pair pro- program uh, about uh, – I don't know, about five hours a day, three to five hours a day. And the huh. rest they work on their own on huh. whatever tasks they're going to be doing. Yeah. And um, – but they weren't always pair programming. They started out, yeah. you know, a traditional house. And uh, uh, some guy said, hey, we should uh, – let's kind of move over to this XP kind of thing and let's, let's do this. And mm-hmm. what they found were that um, most of the, the, the developers were comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. There, were some, there were some hurdles to get over in pair programming. I can talk mm-hmm. about those. But mm-hmm. most were. Uh, interestingly enough, the ones that were not comfortable, comfortable were the, the lead programmers, the, mm. the, the, the gurus. Because they know? wanted to be the top dog or what? Well, they or... were just like, you know, I don't need this. Yeah, right. I don't need this, right? I can. Sure. I'm more productive by myself, more productive yeah, with two okay, of us okay. than together. Sure, but they were convinced to change their ways, and the way they were convinced is because this company was taking metrics on bugs, and what was becoming evident is all the pair programmers were turning in fewer, dramatically fewer bugs than the the gurus. Wow, and. And once this started becoming, they were evaluating this week after week after week, the gurus were turning in more and more and more bugs. The guru said, okay, we're we're going to do the pair programming. And this is, this is the other thing too. I've been pair programming and one of the things that at least happens to me is we'll be, we'll be working and somebody will catch some slip up that, you know, I just didn't, didn't see. Uh, And, and I'll look at that and I'll say, oh my God, you know, that certainly would have compiled. And that would have only shown up under this situation and that would have been a bug that would have been found by a customer and it would have cost us this many hours to fix yeah. plus an update. We just saved about three days worth of work. Yeah. In other words, I calculate this all in my head just on that one thing of having some other guys – another guy's pair of eyes. Wow. So, you yeah, know, exactly. The second pair of eyes is a big deal. Uh, I was going to tie to that as well, which is I found generally when I want to pair up the new guy, I don't pair him up with the most senior guy. I pair him up with a – you know, high intermediate guy because yeah. mm-hmm. then they both get more from it. Sure. Teaching strengthens the intermediate guy and the junior guy gets what he wants. The other th- big thing I found with not using the senior guru is, A, you don't tie down the senior guru, but the intermediate guy will also tend to show the junior guy where to get resources when yeah. you don't know something right. that the most senior guys generally don't need to do. I would totally agree with that. And the other thing I would suggest is you can stick the intermediate guy with the senior guy every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I do think shuffling it around, and there's always a challenge of personalities there too. But you know, generally moving around the pairs, you know, helps. That's that, that's yeah. a that's a question actually from the chat room. Greg Lowe asks, "How often do you switch between members of the pair while coding?" Um, it's uh, I've heard of companies that do it quite dynamically. Where the, uh, a company like with twenty developers, they're working, and you know they'll finish a task. They divide tasks up very in small, small tasks, yeah. milestones, and 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 they'll basically say, uh, you know, during the day, somebody say, okay, I'm I'm ready to switch, 
Huh. And when the next guy's ready, that's you know, interesting. They, so they, you leave it up to them. They you know, combine whenever. dynamically. Um, that's not how we do it. When, when the, the way we do it is we do it essentially by, by project. So what will happen is – and I'm actually the guy who assigns this. So what will happen is, is depending on what the project is going to be, uh, you know, this is Developer Express. I will, I will say, OK uh, – uh, and within my team, right? Yeah, I, I say, sure. so, so I'll say, OK, uh, Eugene and Alex, I want you two guys to work on this particular task right here. Yeah. And then, I, you know, these other two guys, I want you to work on this based on, based on, on skill. And, and part of my goal, though, as well, is to introduce people to new technology yeah. that they're not familiar with. And, and this is another strong benefit of, of XP is if you have this switch over, mm. and I wouldn't do it several times during a day, yeah. but I would definitely do it like once every three days or you know something along those lines. Um, it's, it's good because w- what it gives you is it, it, it eliminates this problem where you have one guy that knows the solution to a big chunk of your code, yeah. and then he gets hit by a train, yeah. and then everybody in the company is looking at each other and saying, well, I guess we're not coming out with a version right. two. Right, so if you've got a strongly personality type uh sort of who who knows the stuff and he just sort of takes the lead all the time and and you don't sort of force the other guy to take their reins then and you essentially but have also, an observer. You keep rotating people against him and more and more people understand the bits that he's got. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, so this is this is very valuable for a company. It's not so valuable for the guy who's maintaining his job security based on his secret knowledge yeah, as opposed right. to his skill. Yeah. Right? So if you're that kind of guy, you don't want to have pair, you don't want to do kinds paraprogramming. Of, those kinds of guys, yeah. I was just gonna say they don't work in paraprogramming because they're the guys that have to have their stash of yeah. knowledge and they dole it out very slowly sure. and yeah. Um, uh, another uh, question from the chat room. How do you work with novice programmers who think they're experts? Uh, you let the compiler decide or the profiler. <laughs> okay. You, you, I mean, that's the judge, right? Digital bitch slap. Well, you know, every once in a while, I, I've been in a situation where I've been not with novice guys, but with another uh, expert programmer, pair programming, and there was a disagreement over the way to solve the problem. And re- resolving the disagreement took like 10 minutes of argument, Yeah. right? Going back and forth. And and one of the skills you have to do is is you know well sometimes you just have to say okay fine I'll let you win this time yeah. if it's not that important and then yeah. you know you take turns letting each other win that's one way to do it yeah. but there's this one issue where it just would not resolve within a, a minute or two of discussion right um, and and we both had valid points that's why it wouldn't be resolved we were both holding on to valid points that we both had right, right and right. and it was one of those things where we ultimately had to we ultimately at the end of the ten minutes we said okay look what is the cost of screwing this up. If, right. if, if we go – if in other words, for me, I measure what the cost is if I go with your idea that I don't want to go with. Yeah. What's the cost? And then you do the same on my end, yeah. right? And then we, we weigh what the cost what, – what damage is less in, in each other's perspective. And, huh. and that's how we solved that. We ended up saying, you know and – I, and I think I ended up going with him. I, I don't remember. He may have gone with my idea. But it was, it was one of those things where right. it, it ultimately didn't matter who won, but it mattered how we solved the problem. And that's mm. how we ended up doing it. But it was it, – it, that was a rare case. Almost, yeah, I was going to say that would be – Quite difficult almost for some all, people that I've worked with. Yeah, almost yeah. always you either let the compiler decide, you let the profiler decide, or you let the code speak for itself. The yeah. code is easier to read. Yeah. Now, you, you, you can get this problem in C++ more often because in C++, you can be, have a guru – you can have two gurus in the room that don't know anything about the uh, how the other guy writes co- or can't read each other's code. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Two gurus, C++ gurus that cannot read each other's code yeah. because there are different ways to solve things. You can use macros. You can use you know massive you know single line statements with massive expressions and all this you know crazy stuff that 
if you wanted to, if you wanted to re- encrypt stuff, like you were talking about what SHA one is, yeah, uh, SHA one is broken now. Well, if they, if it was just in plain source code in C they could make it so it was undecipherable, right? Uh, that's a, you know true of language. Uh, there's a lot, a number of languages that are write once, read never, right? And, and like, by the way, Perl is like that. By the way, if you're like a C guy and you're just offended, just stay tuned, man. And I'll be pissing off everybody by the end of the evening. And if you know what that means, SHA one and is is broken. Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of shocked people out here. Going what? What did he say? What is it broken? But uh, yeah, uh, I did get a, an email from uh, a, a going to a URL, and I'll shrinksterize it right now. That uh, some people have cracked SHA one, and it's essentially got a bullet in the head. Uh, no longer. Well, it, you know that's subject to interpretation. I mean, they they found a, a, a two to the sixty ninth hash operation solution, which means yeah, okay. You know, your typical off-the-shelf machine is going to crack it in two or three thousand years, and if you, but you could build an array that could crack it in under a year. The, right. the more salient point to this is that eventually, with Moore's law continuing crackable. to progress the way it is, in five years it'll be routinely crackable. So it's now time to start thinking about how do we get off of SHA one. And and the URL is shrinkster.com/slash-three-x-0 to that article. Uh, where so it's uh, not really a bullet in the head; it's kind of in the leg. Well, yeah, it is a bullet like in the head in the sense that the thing is ultimately doomed to die, right? Right. So maybe it's a bullet to the gut. Yeah. Well, I was thinking the leg, but without any, you know, patching equipment nearby. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. I got nothing, man. Sorry, nothing. Crickets. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Actually, I can send you another article related to that as well. Um. That that I, you know, not that I think the register is always the most rational place. But they are talking more in the sense of, you know, all right, it's broken, but, you know, it's, it's not like it's going to spontaneously combust. So yeah. uh, shrinkster.com 3XI uh, gives you the another spin on the same problem. So what uh, – so you, pro- you program for DevExpress. Obviously, you're working on CodeRush. You're working on Refactor. you got all these great developer tools that you're working on. What is like um, a typical – a typical day for you in the day in the life of a of a coder. Do you are you coding at home? Are you coding at the office? Are you on the phone? Are you are you doing more business than coding? Or are you you know what's sure? Well, I'm doing. Um, our our team is spread out all over the world. So I've got uh, uh, I've got a guy in the United States. I've got uh, the uh, bulk of my team is uh, outside of the United States, and uh, and and uh, so. And the other thing is I'm extremely passionate about what I'm doing. So I'm working yeah. – I'm, I, I essentially uh, get out of bed, go to my home office and I'm, and I'm connected and talking with, uh, with our guys in Russia and, uh, and, uh, and, and that's also usually how I leave it too. I go to bed talking to those guys as well. Mm. And so there's, uh, there's that aspect of it. Um, I'm, I'm doing more – I don't know if I'd call it necessarily business things more, but I'm doing less nonstop coding during the day than yeah. I used to do. Yeah. Um, I step in every once in a while when things are just too effing complex for yeah. anybody else to do and you know, it's just got to be something that I got to do. Um, and, uh, and I'll often spec things out where I'll say, here is how we're going to solve this problem that appears like we can't solve it. And that's that's one of the things that I really I really enjoy is I love it when I'm in a room and everybody says okay that can't be done yeah and and then it occurs to me somehow a way that we can do it yeah and it's usually not like the approved way right but it's a way and with enough you know safety netting and everything else we can make the whole thing work yeah for example the way that you did the uh, the rubber banding thing it was real brilliant he wrote he drew a uh, a black cross. 
that was semi-transparent next to a white cross that was semi-transparent. Yeah, this was, so no this wasn't actually rubber banding. This was for a, a cross in the middle a of a magnifier. Of a, yeah, of, a, of, of great, basically any sort of bitmap data, but you always have to be able to see the cross. Right. And so it's it's great. I mean, and I, and I did because this is how I started. You you asked, is that XOR? Yeah, and I said no, you can't XOR. But I, the way I solved that particular problem, which is actually cool, is I, I created cool. two crosses right next to each other, off by a pixel. You know, pixel to the right, pixel down. One cross was was drawn in black at fifty percent opacity, and the other was in white at fifty percent opacity. So any background, because this was for a magnifier, right? And and any background that showed up inside of there, you could see this on against any background it's very color. Very cool, very yeah, cool. And it looks like almost like a beveled glass thing. And because it's only a pixel thick, it's precise. It looks, you know, you remind me of Albert Einstein because you know <laughs> one of his most famous quotes that I like is "Imagination is more important than knowledge." Uh-huh. And there you go. There you go, man. It's all about solving the problem. It's all about finding out EMC squared, you know, equals yeah. MC squared. Yeah, he's Not a, necessarily about using, you know, the science of the day. Yeah, well, you know, that's the that's the thing is I've, I've I think one of the things that one of the skills that I've that I've kind of had since I was a kid was essentially the ability to not believe anything anybody told me if they said this is your limitation or this is the right. limitation of what can be done. Here's the box. And in other words, I, I'm extremely <laughs> skeptical skeptical when somebody says, here's what's here's this is this is this is all that's available, all that we have. Right, right, right. And and uh and and I'm always thinking surely there's a, there's another way around this. So uh you know that's just and it's primarily I just think about it, it's primarily because you know when I was a kid I was a smart guy, but I was I was kind of a bad boy, you know. I was like in in school, I never did my, I never did did my homework. Like yeah. I had a calculus class that half the grade was dependent on the homework. Yeah, and I never did it. Yeah. And every day, the calculus teacher he'd go collecting homework by yeah. everybody. Everybody had it on their desk, and he'd go to my table, and instead of collecting my homework, he'd just cross his hands, fold his arms, didn't say anything, shook his head, disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day. <laughs> But I got A's on the test. So on almost every test, I got an A. And so they averaged them out. The homework has counted 50%. So I got a C out of the course. Wow. You know, for, for my calculus course. That's crazy. And, but, you know, that's, but I was, I was like just a, a rebellious kid. And I had, and as a result, you know, adults were like, you know, trying to limit me, put me, you know, say you can't do this or you can't do that. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be able to whatever. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's BS. Yeah. It's BS. I know it's BS. I know I can get past that. Uh, back, getting back to the team thing, uh, Rory Becker from the chat room says, do, do you have any tips on working with and managing a team which is spread out around the world? Obviously, this yeah, is something well, that more people are doing just than you. Yeah, you know. I, I am as good. Skype works every once. Skype is okay for you know doing voice communications. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the thing that I've found is uh, the, the, the one of the best ways, most effective ways I can communicate is with screenshots and annotations on the screenshots. Mm. Whether that's a screenshot if – I, if I want to do a screenshot as a prototype, mm-hmm. I'll do that. Sometimes I'll even do an animated GIF where I say mm-hmm. this is what I'm expecting it to look like, only faster because yeah. GIF is you know sl- kind of slow yeah. in terms of how fast it can move this stuff. So I will do that. When I'm doing bug reports, I'll do a screenshot of whatever thing is wrong and I'll be throwing arrows all over the place. And this is actually one of the points that I brought up in the session at the user group is I was talking about presenting information with clarity. Yeah. And one of the there's one of the ways that you can present information if you choose it is in serial, which is kind of like a uh, a slideshow in a presentation. Here's yeah, my yeah. one point and then now here's my next point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're only seeing that one thing. And uh, at a time. And that is much harder to understand than information in parallel. Sure, because you have no reference at any one point in time. Exactly. No, no context. And in addition to that, information serial 
you have to consume it at the pace in which it's delivered. Right. You cannot control that, right? Yeah. Whereas information in parallel, if you're looking at it visually, you can go back and forth, left and right at your own pace, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what I'll do is I will have a lot of information in parallel on the picture while I say this is this, this is that. I have arrows pointing, connecting. I try to make everything as clear as I can. And mm. these – you know, it's funny. I look at the – every once in a while I look at these diagrams that I create and I've created a lot of them. And I say, you know, this might be an interesting – only to developers, I think, but as a book. In other words, showing clarity and showing also design over time too. Here was our initial. This was this is what it was next. But so, hey, so notice the arrows only go up, not down. There's always more arrows, not less. Oh, I see arrows. what you're saying. No, well, it's it's not bad. But but one of the things that I did do is I would one of the guys that we had he would he would say okay, essentially think he was done, right and. And he would say, okay, I did it. And uh, one of the things that I did, because I was, you know, I looked at this and I saw like, you know, about 10 or something things wrong with it that, you know, either he wasn't paying attention or he wasn't trying, pushing it hard enough. Yeah. And, uh, and what I did is I put up, we have like a, a private news group where, where the team can post things and, and talk to each other. Sure. And, uh, and that's another thing I highly recommend. And because it's really motivational if somebody posts a, puts a post up there and it's one of your problems, do yeah. you know that everybody else has seen that, yeah. right? And so we put any immediate issues, important issues in this news group. Well, one of the things I did is I, I just bloated this diagram with every arrows, every single thing wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah. In other words, you know, you thought you were done and here, look now this. And right. this was only in five minutes of looking at it. So you better go back. In other words, the, the idea is – the idea in that case was to hit the guy, you know, with a lot of force in terms of, you know, here's all of the – here's everything. The, you know, it's a bad choice of words. But the idea is is I wanted to overwhelm him right, right. to yank him out of his nirvana, you know, out of his state where he thought – you used euphoria where he thought everything was okay. Hey, you know, he writes it, he compiles, and he's done. Yeah, and and I really wanted to give him the sense that you know you're wasting my time. If I have, if I can find this in a few, if I can find problems in a few minutes, you're not doing your job. I the problems I expect to find are problems that take me you know a half hour of mm-hmm. of probing mm. to find if it hits if it, if the code hits my desk. Do you think it's possible to pair program over a distance of several thousand miles? Oh yeah, I mean you can do it. You can do it. The 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 um, do you use uh, VNC, for example? No, I, you know, I haven't. I've used VNC not for pair programming, but kind of for pair code reviews. Okay. Um, uh, I used uh, NetOp for pair programming huh. uh, uh, from Danware. Uh, it, it gives really nice performance, and um, uh, combined with uh, uh, now, now the main thing is is if you do pair programming over long distance. Uh, whoever is going to be the host machine has to have a fast upload speed. Okay? Right. You that's need, right. You, you need a fast upload speed. So, uh, uh, so, so, so that's important because yep. you're you're sending screenshots. You know, every time the screen gets a paint, you're yeah. sending that little bitmap across. We've done that. You know, here at Franklin's Net with classes, our remote classes, we use Ultra VNC, and of okay. course, we have Jagundo bandwidth. Well, we haven't for a while. Right. Thank God we didn't have any remote classes during that. Jagundo. I'm not crunch. familiar with that term. That's like a technical term. That's yeah, like that's, a certain amount of. Yeah, what that's is that? a it's a uh, a malaise kind of. Uh, Term. Oh, good. Explain Jacundo with the word yeah. Malise. That'll yeah, yeah. come out real yep. clear to me exactly. now. So, um, no idea what you're saying. Man. That's okay. You don't have to. So, But anyway, we've, we've had... I got nothing, man. He's making up words, isn't he, Richard? We've had, yeah, he is. He's totally... He's making <laughs> he's up words on me again. We've had people you know, in several places all over the world connecting to uh, my, my teaching computer and listening on a phone conference, and it's, you know, they... 
they take that uh, that image or that computer, and they, so they got two monitors. They got one monitor where they see what I'm doing right next to them, and they have you know their their development machine, and it's just like you know sitting right next to somebody. And uh, and taking a class, and this them. is all driven from one machine, right? All the VNC is on the second yeah, monitor. Yeah, multiple multiple clients yeah. from multiple places, uh, and and we can interact. The, and I can the shut biggest, them out too. The, I can with right. VNC, I can allow them to take over the mouse or whatever, or I can shut them out, and that's right. what I do. Yeah, VNC is free, and NetOp is uh, cost money. Um, the uh, uh, what was I going to say about uh, oh the. One of the delays when you're going over long distances and you're pair programming is scrolling. That's yeah. one of the biggest things you'll notice, right? When right. you scroll, because it's a lot of screen updates at once. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is if you are not the host, you're the guest, yeah. and it's your turn to code. In other words, sometimes sometimes you'll see a problem, right? And you'll say, yeah. like, my mouse or my keyboard. Yeah. That's the other guy's cue to, like, get his hands off the mouse keyboard. You go in and fix it real quick because it's faster for you to fix it right. than it is to explain it, yeah. right? Sometimes that happens every once in a while. When you are the guest... Sometimes you'll see a lag depending on screen size, resolution, and bandwidth issues that between what you type and what you see. Right. And, that's true. And, and, and that's about the only thing there. Because if you so, have like DSL you know, at home or whatever, you may not have a good upload speed. Yeah. You want to make sure you choose the fastest upload speed you can if you're going right. to be the host. Yeah. And, that's, and, and that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's the essence there. And the other thing is, is I would probably recommend not doing your audio on your – Upload speed unless you've got a big ass connection. Yeah, See, that's a, my technical term. term. Conference. My technical term is big ass. Big ass. Big is ass good, connection. Man. Yeah, big Bob Marley connection. Yeah, basically. That's what I'm talking about, man. Yeah. Uh, Brian, uh let's see, Brian Morehouse uh, from Not Worth Mentioning, and that's his company name apparently. Um, <laughs> he says. What very good, Brian. He says, "What oop mistakes do you see as most prevalent and or most costly?" Hmm. I don't know, man. I, you know, I think there's only – I guess there's two, I suppose. One is ignorance of what you can do with it, you know. In other words, not just not being aware of what you can do with it. Yeah. And the second one is, which is coupled with that, is, you know, I've just seen a couple of these posts where people are like, you know, real anti against inheritance. They're, and it's just these crazy posts because they're – all their experiences with bad inherent, designs with inheritance. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so it's – it really, really, really can be good. Now, oh, you know what? This reminds me. There was a question earlier about, you know, how do you, how do, you, what, what do you recommend? How do you work with novices? Right. One of the things that I think is a great, great, great idea for you for anybody's application. If you've got an application that's developed and worked on by a team, and you got new guys coming in, yeah. or or novice programmers that are also maintaining it, one of the things that I, I strongly recommend is consider a component based architecture. Okay. As an example, let's say you've got uh, you know a business application and you've got some flexible business rules that can be that can be swapped in and out for like doing calculations for loans or something like that, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the traditional way of extending that is uh, you know you, you uh, set the programmer down, you say, well, here's our ancestor class. You're going to create a descendant of this. You're going to override these methods. You're going to put your calculations and code in there, and you're going to compile and we're going to test. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so he's got to become familiar with the intricacies of, of that interface. Uh, consider a different alternative where that ancestor class had a wrapper that was a component descendant, and that component was dropped on the form mm -hmm. on a designer. Well, not a form, but maybe a non visual container, right? Right. right. And, uh, and it had properties. Properties were like name, like name of the loan calculation metric, mm -hmm. for example, right? And it had events calculate. Yeah. Right? So what's he do? He drops it on. He double clicks, you know, on the on the event. Or if he's in VB, he goes to that crazy drop down that you guys have, man. You guys got to rebel against that, I think. 
You really no do. Comment. You really do, man. No, no comment. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, where? How do I do an event? This language, I hate this language. You know, it's, gonna, it, it's only because that we've never had to write the code to handle events and delegates that we are confused by them. No, I, well, okay. Well, I, I, that's fine. I mean, you still we like the drop down, click, man. man. Just leave us alone and do your own thing. All right, man. Well, all right. I, 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 okay. I suppose I could learn tolerance. <laughs> I mean, we don't, you know, if it's mouse move or add handler, I'm going to not write the code. So. so let's say you you change this, right, for your business calculation. Yeah. And you've got this architecture now. Yeah. Now let's say there's another part that you want swappable. Let's say, for example, you're going to have a UI that's allowed people to uh, to uh, to select from a set of loans. And maybe on the, the pro version, you want to give them advanced set of filtering or something like, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, – uh, actually, this is a crazy. That's a crazy example. There's probably a better example. But the the idea is, what if you have another thing of your product that you want to have easily extensible? You're going to do that's a right. lot of these things. Put it as a co- component again. They drop it on. Yeah. They set a few properties. Draggy handle, droppy. Make it draggy ha- droppy. Handle man. the events. Once they've done one, they know how to do the other. Sure. And now, if you if this is now the style, it's real easy to create a wrapper around whatever classes you've already got. Right. And and to put events in there. And if this is the kind of thing you're doing again and again and again and again, it makes a lot of sense, in my opinion, to make this as easy as possible so that if you if you know so and what you're doing is you're reducing the hard parts of extending your app yeah you're making it you're decreasing the amount of time it it it, it takes and, and you're decreasing the cost as well in terms of extending and being flexible and that's what in my opinion that's what you know any kind of small company is needs if you are competing with somebody else right if you're competing against another company this really doesn't apply to folks yeah. in-house that have got you know total job security and nobody really cares you know ultimately how fast you turn out your stuff this does not apply right to up you. until you're fired. Yeah, it, it does not apply to you. But if you are <laughs> if you are competing against another company, the, the the one of the ways that you can get gain a competitive advantage is by making it, it faster and easier for you to extend your products. And I, yeah, that's that's just bottom line. Like as an example, look at what we do. We are extending Visual Studio itself, the IDE. When VS two thousand two and two thousand three came out, a lot of people looked at it and said, you know what, this IDE is pretty good. You yeah. know, and so and 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 so now, what did I? What what's my idea? My idea is, hey, let's try and make it better, and let's compete against Microsoft, right? Because they've got what, like fifty, sixty guys in there, right? In the IDE, yeah. And I don't have fifty, sixty guys on my team. I'll tell you that much right now. Right. But I, so I have to come up with a competitive advantage, and my competitive advantage against against you know the team that's doing the IDE that's going to help us continue to to extend and, and enhance that at a faster rate and come up with features at a faster rate, more flexible rate than they are, is this architecture that I just described. You know, I can I can also add my two cents to uh, Brian's question about what oop mistakes you see as most prevalent and are most, most costly. And I can give you a tip right now that I've been discussing for a while with my friend Marcus Egger, which I am now, which is now common practice in everything that I do. And that is before you write line one of your application, go and create a new DLL that has, uh, you know, descendants or ancestors. I guess I'm not sure what you what your language is, but uh, uh, yeah, descendants know. meant what, or what? descendants of all the Windows Forms classes, oh. and you know the Windows Forms uh, controls and the and the Windows Form itself. And if you're building a web application, you want to uh, create a, der- a derived class from the page class and all that. And then compile those as separate DLLs and use those instead of the, uh, you know, the base classes that are in the framework. And the reason is that even if you're not going to extend them, it allows you to modify them in the future and not break ah, your code. You're decoupling yourself from the, totally, the framework. To- That's kind of a neat idea. decouple yourself right away. Yeah. 
And that way, you know, it's not such a big pain in the butt to say, hey, you know, I want to make that text box turn blue when it gets focus. And I don't want to have can, to write the code in my entire application. And I, he, there, you know, there's there, another way I think to cheat well, there, that. Well, I just though. want to say that there are situations where, um, you know, Marcus was telling me a story of that. He, he, they have a framework that they developed in this way. And some things are just, you know, they're not modified at all. They don't override any virtual method. They don't do any of that stuff. But, you know, three days before shipping, the customer calls up and says, hey, you know, it'd really be cool if we could uh, have all of these, uh, if we could have all of these text boxes mainframe style. And so we want to force all the text boxes to uppercase, like two days before they shipped. And, you know, they had like, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of forms with text boxes all over the place, but their text box class was defined in one place. They just go in, they make one change, and they can deliver on time. I mean, there's a real-world situation where decoupling can save your ass. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, th- that's a very unique one. That's a, that's a unique uh, situation, you know. It's sure, like, but there's a lot of those that creep and, up. Well, from my standpoint, if I, need, I, I rarely need a situation where I need to make a change across the board to everything, you know. Uh, so, so, so that kind of, and to me, I would consider what your suggestion right there, I would just consider it like way too much work to start off with. Let, let's yeah. do that if we need to and do it on an as needed basis. What, one of the things you can do is you can, if you're willing to accept a recompile, you can do essentially this trick just by changing the reference. So instead of referencing system.windows.forms, yeah. you reference your your assembly, give everything the same name. Do you have to change – you change the reference in the properties of the reference itself, right? Y- yeah. Just, yeah, not the, not the imports are using statements right. but the actual reference for the project. Right, right, okay. Right. And, and, and I think you can solve that the exact same, same way on demand. But you have to solve it a whole assembly at a time, but a whole namespace also, at a time. But I mean. you also have to rewrite – you have to use the same names. You yes. have to write an assembly that has the same names as the, the classes you're overriding. You're, yes. Yeah, and that's yes. – I don't know if I would want to do that. But. Well, you know – but anyway, uh, guess what? We have uh, a message from Rory Blythe. He actually went to the website. He says, uh, I've been listening to bits of today's show, and I have two comments. One, Mark was upset that I wasn't there to tell him that he's full of shit. Please let him know that even though I'm no longer co-host, I th- still think he's full of shit, so nothing's changed. Okay. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm comforted then by number, that. Number two. Thanks, Rory. Please say this to Mark without any edits. Quote, the word G-I-F is pronounced GIF. Like the peanut butter. Get it right, you dickless ignoramus. Dickless ignoramus. Hold on, i got to write that <laughs> hey, down. Write that one down. Hold on. Hey, there's, next week. there's some fodder for Mondays right there. Names I there you go. This week. Dickless <laughs> ignoramus. I'm going to have to disagree with that because even though pronunciation-wise, you know, G-I would be GIF, but it stands for graphical interchange yeah, I, I format, which wrong. would be G. It's GIF. So it's yeah. GIF, or you can suck <laughs> my nuts. Hey, hey, whoa, hey. <laughs> whoa. Was that the sound of sponsors running down the hallway out of the, the so. building? Oh, I my God. So. Okay, I've... so we're going to edit that point out. <laughs> that <laughs> in, wasn't... Case, in case you didn't figure that out, Carl. <laughs> that even was a point. I don't know. Oh, man. Hey, yeah. now, he's in, now he's in the chat room. Rory, why don't you call the conference and, and, uh, and say hello, man? Yeah, come wreak some havoc. Sure, man. <sighs> so we're we're just I know we're about out of time, but I I I could talk about this stuff all night. This is great stuff. Are we Absolutely. out of time really? This is a fast show, man. Yeah, we are. Uh, and I'm glad we didn't get my bring my bring up my criminal record. We didn't get to that part. <laughs> That's good. So, I wanted to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah. 
and right. the Idiot 2000. Okay, well, we can do that. Sure. I was, um, this is uh, this is my first venture into, I guess, you know, my own business. This was a uh, uh, right out of uh, uh, out of college. Uh, we had some friends who, uh, or, or one of my friends had a roommate who had a special effects house, and uh, he was being considered to do the uh, um, uh, the masks, the rubber foam rubber masks for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stage show. And they needed uh, some folks to uh, to do the motion control for this. They were going to have a, 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 a tape playback and uh, they needed to sync up some uh, motors in the masks that were going to move the mouth and the eyes. And uh, so my uh, my buddy's roommate, we had my my buddy and I had kind of a uh, you know kind of a computer consulting business kind of thing. You know, we yeah. were we didn't didn't have any real great money making ideas. You know, we just gotten out of <laughs> we were just getting out of out of college. And uh, at any rate, um, uh, they, they gave us a shot at doing a dog and pony show for this. And we did a dog and pony show, and we had no synchronization at all for this. We had no way to synchronize things up, so we just used timing and dumb luck to, <laughs> in, in the in the dog and pony show and uh and we ended up getting this contract and uh we get a we get a check for thirty five thousand dollars to buy the equipment we need to make this work and we have three weeks to deliver oh my this God. wow and our first i remember our first struggle and you're going straight to motion control software yeah nice. yeah so uh, the first thing is that i'm that the first thing that that we try to do is we try to deposit the check and not and this is in the United States. Not a single bank would deposit our check. We kept going. We said we just started a business. Here's our little ad in the paper. See, it proves we're a business. We have a check for thirty five thousand dollars. We'd like to deposit it. Wow. And they're like, no. And I go, no, you don't understand. We're not going to cash it. We're going to deposit it. And they would not. We could not believe it. Everybody thought we were scamming them. Wow. And we finally had to get a friend of a friend to put it to get it to open up the bank account. So then now it comes time to solve the problem. So we're solving the problem. Actually, I think we had five weeks, not three weeks. So we're, so we're we're working, we're working, we're working. We have everything done except the sink problem is not solved. And this was like about, I want to say, 12 years ago roughly. And and uh, with three weeks to go, I was getting really grumpy, right, because I would not solved this problem yet. With three weeks to go, my partner finds a card that was just released that syncs up SMPTE time code, SMPTE, oh, S-M-P-T-E. It's the uh, time code. Society Motion Picture Television Engineers. engineers. And yeah. it's the time code that allows your videotape to play – in in a at the right pace instead of right. you, you know if you still got videotapes yeah it's time right? code right it's time code and he got a card that plugged into a PC that could that could listen to a tape and and then give it to the PC in little bits you know in in, in a byte you know kind of you know translate it and and that solved our pro- our synchronous problem we get we, we we have like five masks in his 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 in his apartment. And we've we pre-render the whole show with uh, using remote control, um, uh, uh, you know that you'd fly an airplane with remote control airplane yeah, kind yeah, of things, sure. right? So we pre-puppeteer the entire show with these five masks: four turtles plus the rat, <laughs> whoever the heck the rat is, right? And uh, and it looks, if I can say so, effing awesome. It looks really <laughs> good to see all of these heads on these little headstands, like their little wig masks we have them on, right? And they're all just talking, you know, going the, doing the whole show, and it's great. We get there, we do a, we're doing a, uh, a kind of a dress rehearsal. We our first scheduled official show is in Radio City Music Hall, but we have uh, a a a pre-show in a in a some place sub suburb. 
okay, where we're doing it, you know, to kind of a, a, a practice run. And we get in and uh, uh, we're doing the first thing and, and we were like kids and we're kind of cocky, right? So we thought it would be cool to wear lab coats, white lab coats to the thing and wear them around like we were scientists. And, uh, and the other thing we did, uh, well, we, this thing, device was called the Idiot 2000. It's, it stood for Interactive Digital Input-Output Transmitter. Nice. <laughs> and – and our, our our phrase catchphrase was you know when you're working with an idiot you know that's what we said you know when you're you working know. with an idiot so that well, was our first. the the other thing that was that we had that was that was you know kind of cocky is on and this was a, totally inspired by me and i'm going to say i'm going to say a bad word here in a second so you're going to bleep it out for the regular thing but but the the on the, the side of all our boxes for our equipment that was shipped with the show we put we we spray painted we don't fuck up like we used to, which was our, f- <laughs> our our phrase, you know, in the little the little uh, stenciled letters. So I was just I just thought this was all totally this is all for my benefit, right? Because I just thought it was totally hilarious. So um, so anyway, we do the yeah. first show. The yeah. actors have got the masks on. They also got these heavy shells on the backs as well. They're going around, and we're just like it's working beautifully, and we're loving it. And then it for about eight minutes. And then all the actors kind of at the same time are all like, you know, doing the cut single symbol across their neck and they're waving their arms and they're – and these guys are like gymnasts that they hired, right? And they're taking off their masks and they're all gasping for air. And oh, we man. forgot that the masks are sealed and when they're not talking, the mouth is closed, right? And they can't get any <laughs> air. Oh, my god. So, oops, yeah, design so, flaw, design flaw, right? Shit. So I'm like, oh, so you wanted to breathe? You didn't spec that out. <laughs> you didn't spec That'll that be an extra thirty five thousand dollars, right. please. I, I yeah. need to check in advance before I can let you breathe. See, so. well, we were not experienced then. We just said, okay. So I went back and I said, well, I've got this thing that previously recorded in one shot. Now I had the, needed the ability to punch in on a single channel like the mouth, open it up. Yeah. When they're not talking in a way that's not obvious, right? Right, right, right. So they can get some air. Yeah. The other thing they built is they built into the stage. They built in these fans all over the stage and gave them some some streamers coming. You could out. have just make you know made the mouth open like a half an inch and make them look like they were lost in thought. You well, know? you really want to give them more more room than that. Believe yeah, it or not, you really, really do. You really want to open these wide because these guys are doing a lot of gymnastic stuff. So okay. so so. Couldn't they have like poked holes in the nose or something? No, I mean, man. No, 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 no. You got, why did they have to be hermetically sealed? I mean, no, what? it wasn't that they were sealed. It was just that they were closed enough. There's just no way to get air to come in, and they and you couldn't poke a hole in the mask somewhere. I mean, what's no, the no, no. You need a lot more. You need more space to come in. We cannot okay. poke. A, right. I mean, there was there was holes around the neck. It wasn't like it was hermetically sealed. Oh, okay. It was just like imagine a serious workout. What happens? No, you get, open your mouth and you're yeah, breathing. Yeah, yeah. You're going, <sighs> yeah, right. you know, to get as much in. So, yeah, so. Yeah. I, I, I had to rewrite the software on the fly. And, you know, this is a totally high-pressure situation, right? Because <laughs> they have sold tickets to the show. Right. And if I don't get this thing solved in, you know, you know X amount of days, then we have no show and it's all my fault. And they're going to die because yeah. they can't breathe. <laughs> You're going to suffocate some cast members. Yeah. Donatello just drops. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> brain and, and the kids will be traumatized for years because of that, right? <laughs> so, it's all your fault. I have some Serious responsibility. So I, I made it so that we could punch into a track on the fly, record a little bit while it was playing back all the other tracks, yeah. and, then, and then punch out. And, 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 and we did this several times running it live until we and – we, and we get a section. We say, you know what? That section was good. Let's commit it. 
So we commit these, you know, these little bits that we were doing on top of yeah. it. And, and, and by the end of the thing, this thing was really sweet. It was, it was, you, 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 the character would deliver his line then he'd go turn around to adjust some controls where the fan was blowing out of the side of the stage. And as, just as he turned around, you could see his mouth slowly drop open, you know, as he's adjusting <laughs> the controls. And then just before he's about to talk his line, so a little bit of time is, passes, just okay. before he's about to speak, the, the mouth begins to close so we can turn around real quickly and, and start yapping. That's cool. So that was the Turtles. Man. Awesome. The coolest, the coolest thing, the coolest moment for me on the Turtles was when we were at Radio City Music Hall. We had a moment because the thing was essentially running itself. We had a moment where we could – where I, I think maybe somebody else was at the main control thing. Uh -huh. But we were, uh, we were under the stage with the Turtles before the show started – all the kids are, you know, you know, stomping their feet and, you know, you know, clapping their hands, trying to get the turtles to come out. It was like a rock show kind of thing, right? <laughs> and uh, the sta stage is dark, and you see the lights, you know, from the spotlights moving around on the, coming through the cracks underneath. And uh, and and then all of a sudden, the the twang from the guitar kicks in. The hydraulics on the stage pump up and and raise the turtles up right in front of us. And so mm -hmm. we're still under the stage. Mm -hmm. And I turn to my partner and I say, you know, not many people get to experience this. This is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> so, so anyway, so that was uh, that was uh, the turtles, man. So what's on the horizon for Mark Miller? Are you going to do any uh, speaking or touring or, you know, rock and roll shows? Or are you going to, uh, you know, strip clubs? What are you going to do, man? Uh, well, no, I'm not going to any strip clubs, man. I'm, I'm, uh, well, if nobody knows, you are, you are the sort of the center of the universe of the show Mondays. I thought you, you were going to say the center of the strip club universe, but yeah, that's, well, you that's do, Karen's job. But okay, you know, yeah. but you basically, you know, hold that show together. Uh, you're you're a great uh, talent on it. And if you thought this was funny, you should check out Mondays. It's really really funny. Well, but it is we, it's, it is an adult. Yes, it is content. It's, they're swearing and yeah, they're swearing. We, we say bad words every once in a while. So yeah. if that's if you think you're going to be entertained by that, then come on over. Right. But. but it isn't just inane. Yes, some people have thought. Well, okay, it's inane, but it's funny too. So anyway, well, so what things am I doing? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I am, I am working hard to. I'm working hard on Refactor is what I'm working on right now, yeah. which is it's still not released. Some people ask, when are you gonna? When is that coming out? I think part of the reason why they're asking is because we're still calling it a beta, but I think they're sensing the quality of it is pretty good. Um, we are working on things that are are really primarily performance issues, memory yeah. issues on it right now. Yeah. We want to make sure that that it's hit on startup is essentially zero. So you start up Visual Studio, you notice no additional hit time at all on startup. And uh, memory usage, we want to drop that down really, really low. So, you know, you can't – in other words, you can't tell it's loaded other than the, the benefit. Yeah. You know, you can't tell by any kind of metric or any other kind of thing. So we're essentially working on that. And and it's just it's just a matter of how high of quality can we get this because right now we have essentially have the support of Developer Express. Right. The management of Developer Express has said get this thing as good as you can make it, make the quality as high as you can. Yeah. No pressure to release, no pressure to get this out. That's good. And it's uh, it's a wonderful luxury, and it's a it's a great it's a, it's it's a it's a great great feeling when you have this kind of support from your management to say you know what we believe in the quality of this. We want to make this thing as be as good as we can get this thing. Um, because we believe it's important. And so, well, I have one thing that I like to ask my guests uh, at the end of the show, and that is any absolute killer tools or devices or toys or things that people – you think people absolutely have to have. Hmm. I mean besides Code Rush. 
Well, is there anything other than Code Rush that matters? Well, Refactor, <laughs> Refactor is pretty hot okay, too. Okay, but, but you know what I'm saying. But um, have you downloaded any? Well, tools you know, lately, I'm going to say that. Well, the obvious one I'm sure everybody says is Lutz Rotors Reflector. Yeah, that's 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 got great design all over it. Man. I was that thinking Reflector really when you were talking about how Visual Studio works. I mean, you obviously got in there and took a look at it. And well, actually, no, a lot of Visual Studio is not written in .NET, so I can't go in and I can't go in and get into it. You know, the um, uh, Visual Studio because they had to release it. That was most of it's written in C I think. Okay, not not done yet. Uh, see, I heard it was all C sharp or mostly C sharp, and some things in no, assembly. I think you've been here. Well, I'll tell you, based on my spelunking, that's not correct. Okay, um, the the property grid is dot net. Okay, I mean, you, I mean, we know that obviously, right? But we, but I can yeah. spot. W- one of the things that I can do is I can get an event when any window gets focused, and when the window gets focused, I can do some write some. I've got some code that tries to typecast it as a .NET thing and then checks it, say, you know, are you really a .NET class? And so I can tell if something's okay. .NET or not. Okay. And the vast majority of the windows and the tools in 2003 is not written in .NET. Huh. It's not. And, you know, I talked to the guys about this and it was basically the, – the way it was explained to me, it was a, a – we got to get this thing out to market fast. So we decided not to write it in our own language. And I wow. was like, OK, well, you know you're going to have to do that – you, that's going to hit you. Is this You're like pay for that sometime, right? Is this like uh, you know NDA knowledge here? Well, is this I, public knowledge? I queried. Or? I don't know if it's. I don't think it's. It's. It's not explicitly NDA, and it's not probably not public <laughs> knowledge either. I was. I asked myself the question: Is this under NDA? And I was like, I don't think so. So it, you know, it, by the way, anybody at Microsoft, if you think that's under NDA, just let me know. Okay. Just send me an email, <laughs> and I'll send you an apology. I'll, I'll officially deny that I said it here. We're not recording this, right? This is there's no transcripts or anything. <laughs> Actually, no, no. it's all written in Perl. No, I, I mean yeah. this is just a, this is just an off the this is a remark somebody made to me and uh, and that it, that it was written in this way. And so, <laughs> you, you, yikes! You, usually, usually one of the aspects of NDA is they say we're you know there's a responsibility that somebody said this is confidential, right? And they either say it or they you know note it in some way, and, and that, that was not noted. Not. Okay, no. all so right. I don't think well, so. Well, you're off the hook then. All right. Well, Richard, what do you think? You like this job? I like this job. Well, and I'm really glad it was uh, Mark first time around. Yeah. It was a great show, Mark. I wish we could go on, man. But, uh, you know, the clock on the wall says. All right, man. That's fine. Go. Appreciate the time, but man. It, it, was, it, was great, uh, it was great talking to you. What can I say, man? You're brilliant. Oh, thanks, man. I love your tools and I, and I love listening to you talk and I could talk to you all day. So come on back again sometime in the future. And, you know, maybe I'll get you into Dev Connections, too. I'm going to try. Get you in there in Orlando. We'll talk. See you.